And um, thank you so much, Ben, for serving us so well week in, week out. And we know it takes practice and time and dedication. And um, just some tips for times of worship like that. When I come into a time of worship, one of the first things that I do is remind myself that God loves me regardless of my performance during the last seven days. Do you know he loves me even if the sermon I'm about to preach is a dud? You might not love me, but remind myself of that because I don't know about you, but sometimes I build up stuff. Remember that, you know what? God loves me because he loves me. He loves me before he made me. And the reason that he accepts me isn't in anything good that I've done. It isn't in my bank account. It isn't in my work performance. It isn't in how I've done uh, in terms of parenting that week. But the reason is in Christ alone. That's where my hope is found. And then, as that happens, I find, I find that I, I open myself up to the wonder of what God does when his body, his people, gather together to worship. I don't know how you view worship. We can view it like a really good concert, but it's supposed to be much, much more than that. We can view it as I'm going to come and the band is going to sing, and I'll kind of sing along like a spiritual karaoke, and uh, at the end of it, then we'll get to the message and so on. But God's called us to so much more as a people. And the wonder of worship, the wonder of spirit-led worship, Jesus said, this is how it is with the things of the Spirit of God. He said, it's like, it's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's Just like that. Because the Bible talks about things being done decently and in order. But in that decency and in that order, there's this sense of the living God is amongst us. And no one's exactly sure what he's going to do next. And we don't want to become a church that at nine months of Sunday meetings, everyone knows what's going to happen. Someone's going to stand up and say hello. And then we're going to do two songs and no more. Then we let the kids out. And then we do two more fast songs, two more slow songs, and then we're done. We are encountering the living God. We're encountering the God whose presence is like fire. It would come down on Mount Sinai like smoke and thunder. Another time it comes down like a dove on the head of his son and a voice that splits the heavens open. And we're worshiping the same God today. And so I, I just love it when we all come. Can you imagine every single person coming? And saying, God, what are you saying to me? God, what are you saying to us? And in the midst of that, someone comes forward and says that, that God's, God's working amongst us is like a mighty rushing river. Then someone else says that there's, there's a scripture that talks about the strength of God and how he's come to rescue us. And in all that, God is speaking to us and through us. That's the kind of worship we see in the Bible. It's, it's powerful. You can read 1 Corinthians where they took that to a bit of an excess. But in the midst of all that excess, Paul says things like, man, I love the gift of prophecy. Don't stop prophesying. Don't quench the spirit. Keep on going. So one tribe, that's just an encouragement. Let's keep on pursuing the things of God. I know we all are. Let's keep on pressing in more and more and more. So with that mini sermon out of the way, Welcome to One Tribe Church. My name is Mbonisi and I'm one of the leaders here. If you're new here, welcome. It's great to have you. As Sean mentioned, we're in the final installment of our five...
part series on love and marriage. We've been leaning on two resources, Tim Keller's excellent book titled The Meaning of Marriage and a similar series that was done by our sister church, Common Ground in Cape Town. <clears throat> a quick story as we kick off, perhaps the world's shortest ever fairy tale. Boy meets girl. Boy says to girl, will you marry me? Girl says no. And the boy lived happily ever after, riding motorcycles, playing golf and hunting and fishing, drinking beer and lots of scotch, and leaving the toilet seat up the end. <laughs> you can tell my wife is not here today. <laughs> Our daughter Bethel is, is unwell and... Uh, so she, she had to stay home. Over the last month, we've made eight major points about marriage. They're up on the screen here. The first is the commitment of marriage. The second is the priority of marriage. The third is the power for marriage, the secret of marriage, the friendship in marriage, transformation in marriage, teaming in marriage, and roles in marriage. Today, we make our final two points on this topic, which are the alternative to marriage and the pursuit of marriage. Now, just as we get into that, I'd love to say a couple of words to those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus. As we've been going through this series, I've tried to show you the difference Jesus makes in each of these areas. I'll be doing more of that today, but if you're not yet a Christ follower, I hope that you still find the things that we're talking about helpful and valuable. But I also hope that what you're hearing as we talk about love and marriage will also challenge you to reconsider the way you view all of your life and specifically how you view Jesus' role in your life. The reason I hope that is this, having Jesus in your life makes a whole range of resources available to you that you wouldn't otherwise have. Choosing to follow Jesus makes his presence and his power and his wisdom and his perspective and his song in your life realities that you can experience. Now, you might not yet be ready to give your life to Jesus. If you are, I'd love to pray with you at the end of this message. And if you aren't yet ready to become a follower of Jesus, can I suggest you try an experiment this morning? Try Christ following on in your mind as we go through God's word. As I'm saying things, be thinking, what if that were me? Could that work? And I pray that you begin to see Jesus today and see why we are so excited about him. Now, after a month of talking about love and marriage... There may still be singles amongst us who are wondering, how is this series supposed to help singles? That's a reasonable question, I hope one that we've answered, at least in part during the course of this uh, message series, but maybe it'll be helpful if I address it just one more time. If you are single, without a biblical perspective, without God's perspective of love and marriage, if you are single, how will you know whether or not to get married? Or, how will you know who to marry 
what kind of person to choose to marry? And thirdly, how will you know how to prepare yourself for marriage unless you've got an accurate picture of what marriage is? That would be my first comment. My second comment would be based on something Tim Keller said, which was very helpful. Without, without God's perspective through his word on marriage, you will tend as a single to either over-desire marriage, which is unhealthy, or you'll tend to under-desire marriage, perhaps even fear marriage, which is also unhealthy. So in other words, I hope that our time talking about marriage has served both singles and marrieds well. Having said that, and having been single before, and having many friends who are single, I know that singles can sometimes feel like second-class citizens. You have to have someone to be someone. There's a Bollywood movie that says, no life without wife. Please don't feel like a second-class citizen. Here's why. Firstly, God has designed his kingdom to have two kinds of people, marrieds and singles. God wants to be glorified through marrieds, and he wants to be glorified through singles and singleness. A church with only single people would be lacking so, so much. And a church with only married people would also be lacking so, so much. Marriage is good, but it's not God's best for everyone. For all of us, at least some season of our lives, singleness is best. And for some of us, all seasons of our lives, singleness is best. So don't feel like a second-class citizen. A brief word without getting gloomy. Just a reminder for those of us who are married, that statistically speaking... 50% of us will be single again at some point. It's good to think about singleness. We're not second-class citizens if we're single, but not just that. My greatest argument would be this. Jesus was single. I rest my case. The end. Game, set, match, checkmate, Jesus, the most whole person who ever lived, was a single. Not just that, Paul, one of his most effective followers, was single, and he said, 1 Corinthians 7, 7, I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. Each woman has her own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. My gift is singleness. Wish everyone had it. Even our language betrays our thinking sometimes when we say, who's your better half? Uh, I have a better half. No, you are whole in and of yourself. Coming back to our Bible passage that served us so well these last weeks, it gives us two clues for why singleness is a strong alternative to marriage. Check out Ephesians 5 verse 28. It says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, 
but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Notice, firstly, that we've mentioned this before, our relationship with Christ, not with our spouse, is ultimate. Remember in week two, we introduced the concept, concept of penultimate. That means very important, but it's not the most important thing. Paul says in verse 32 that marriage, which is very important, points to something even more important, and that is our relationship with Christ. That means even if you're a single and don't have the very important relationship of marriage in your life, you can still right now enjoy what is most important. That's the relationship with the one perfect life partner, Jesus Christ. Secondly, notice that our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, not our marriage to a spouse, is eternal. This passage lifts our gaze into eternity. In heaven, Tash and I will no longer be married. The Bible says there's no marriage in heaven. I do think that we'll probably still have a special connection, and I'm planning on asking for adjoining rooms. <laughs> but our marriage relationship doesn't go into heaven, but Christ will be in heaven forever. His bride, his church his sons and daughters who believe in his name will be forever. And our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ are eternal and will go into heaven. This is so important because it breaks our over-desire for marriage and it elevates our reasons for getting married. It breaks two marriage myths so prevalent among singles in our culture. Marriage myth number one. Marriage is ultimate and is the way to status and security. Have you heard that one? This was believed in ancient cultures and might be one of the reasons that you're feeling under pressure to hurry up and get hitched. Cultures all over the world have taught that you have to get married to have status and security. By contrast, Stanley Hallowes, an ethicist and theologian, does a study that shows that Christianity was the very first religion that held up singleness as a viable way of life. Christians are able to respond to the pressure to get married with a gospel response. Imagine a conversation between a married and a single person going something like this. Maybe I can have a married person. Belinda, come on out, please, and grab a chair. If I can have a single person, Esther, please come forward and grab a chair. It's easy. you just got to sit over here with a chair and just look like a married and a single having a conversation. Right over here, I'll help you. Thanks for being willing to do these crazy and brief things. You're not really willing, you're just here. Thank you so much. Shall we give them both a hand? Encourage them. I want the atmosphere in one tribe to be one of encouragement and honor and celebrating one another. Just imagine this. They're meeting for coffee at 
Kigwa after the meeting, and uh, or they may be having lunch together, enjoying the special 10% One Tribe discount that all One Tribe is entitled to on a Sunday at the Kigwa restaurant. And they start talking about marriage. And married person says to single person, why are you single? You must get married if you want future status and security. Esther can answer like this. She can answer, I might get married one day, but I'd be happy as a single because my life is secured now and into the future. I have Christ in my life, you see. He is all the status I could ever hope for, and he promises to extend my life into all eternity. So my future is good. If I do marry, I will marry for a higher reason than that. Marriage myth number two. Marriage is ultimate, and it is the way to personal happiness and fulfillment. Some of you may face an external pressure to get married so that you can have status and security, or you might face an internal pressure to get married for your own happiness and fulfillment. Again, you can respond with a gospel response. Married person asks single person, why are you single? You must get married if you're going to be truly fulfilled. Esther can answer, I might get married one day, but I'd be happy as a single because my life is complete in Christ. He knows me best, and even though he knows me best, he loves me most. This is the love that I've always hoped to have, and it's mine to enjoy now and forever. If I do marry, I will marry for a higher reason than that. Does that make sense? Shall we give our two models a hand? Thank you so much. Well done. Wasn't that easy, Belinda? It was. Thank you. Easiest 500 shillings you ever earned. God wants you to know that singleness is not a second-rate existence. The most important things in the universe are yours to enjoy, a relationship with Christ, a meaningful involvement in a spiritual community, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ now and into eternity. Let's look briefly at three other benefits of singleness. Number one, singles have more capacity than marrieds do for a wider range of relationships. Marrieds tend to take up 40% of their relational capacity on their family, leaving much less for everyone else. C.S. Lewis observed that in our age, romance is disproportionately elevated, but sadly, friendship is not elevated enough. Margaret Clarkson helpfully noted that friendships cannot be overemphasized in the single life. They should be many and varied, always growing in number and increasing in depth. Secondly, singles tend to have a lot more capacity than marrieds do for their career. Marrieds, and especially those with kids, have less time and energy available to develop 
their careers. I'm uh, uh, specializing in surgery at Kijabi Hospital and uh, my professional peers are majority single, almost none of them have kids. And it's a challenge because they've got a lot more time resource than I do. But God gives grace. Galatians 6 verse 3 to 5 has wisdom that singles are free to pursue without distraction. We'll read it from the Message Bible. It says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Thirdly, singles tend to have a lot more capacity than marrieds do for serving God. This is the argument Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 7 in his great plug for singleness, again reading from the message. He says, I want you to live as free from complications as possible. When you're single, you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention. The time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other, the single person can spend on becoming whole and holy instruments of God. All I want is for you to be able to develop a, a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. So what are we saying? I'm not saying that these truths make singleness easy, but these truths show how you can be uniquely effective and fruitful as long as you are single. God gives some people the gift of singleness for their whole lives and others for just a season. However long it is, having the gift doesn't mean you never struggle, but it does mean it's part of God's plan and God's best for you. William White writes, Single adults in a church are not in a waiting room, but are rather in a living room, full of potential and possibilities, which may or may not have an entrance to marriage, but definitely does have many doors that lead to ministry. Or, as Mbonisi once said, being single rocks. Now, we're moving into the final point of this series, the pursuit of marriage. And I've tried to outline this week and in previous weeks the dangers of over-desiring marriage. But having done that, it is a good thing to pursue marriage. For the rest of my talk, let me give you seven tips to help you to get into a relationship that might go the distance of marriage and in a God-honoring way, and I hope this will serve singles. Married, I hope that you're not just thinking about yourself as you listen to this message, but you're also thinking about your unmarried siblings, perhaps, or single friends or single work colleagues, and maybe you'll find some gems in here that you can pass on to them. Seven tips. Here's number one. Recognize that there are seasons for not seeking marriage. The Bible talks about seasons in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. 
Some of you may know people, in fact, some of you may be people who always need to have someone. If that's the case, you may be into marriage idolatry. When you're going through a significant transition, like starting a new job or school or dealing with the death of a parent, that might not be the best time to pursue a relationship. Some of you might need to fast from being open to a relationship for a few months or a year, particularly if it's an emotionally charged time in your life. Your judgment might be cloudy, and during times of healing or regrouping, you probably need deep Christian friendship more than dates and ideas of marriage. Number two, act your age. The Bible says this, what do I mean? Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And this is part of the mystery and wisdom of God, is that he gives us hormones, he gives us sexual capability years before it is appropriate to express that in our culture. We'd be unwise to awaken love and passions and desires until the time is right. Put practically, especially as teenagers, we need to be wise, and I can put it this way, don't advertise your sexuality until it's time to use it. Does that make sense? I can get more graphic, but we won't for the purposes of this message. At the other end of the spectrum, if you are single and in your 30s, you should realize that if you insist on trying to continue with casual dating with others of your age, you will often be playing with other people's emotions. The older you are and the more often you go out, the quicker both people must be to acknowledge that you're seeking marriage. Does that, does that make sense? If you're not yet ready for marriage, don't, don't act older than you are. If in terms of just the way life works and marriage works and people's expectations work, you're now in your 30s, don't, don't, don't act like you're still a teenager. And oh, we, it's, it's, just, it's just ice cream, the two of us. Number three, if you're a Christ follower, then marry someone who shares your love for Christ. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 says this, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. If you're a follower of Jesus and you marry someone who's not a follower of Jesus, then you become yoked together. I don't know if you've ever seen two animals in a yoke. We saw a couple of donkeys in a yoke yesterday. And where one goes, the other has to go because you're hitched. If as a follower of Jesus, you become yoked to a non-follower of Jesus, you will have to do one of two things. Either you'll have to become less transparent and secretive about just how crazy you are about Jesus. Or, you will have to demote Jesus in your life to carry on with this unyoked relationship. Number four, look for the right things in a marriage partner. We spoke about superficial things a couple of weeks ago. Don't just look for someone hotter than you. 
but the Bible gives such wise counsel. It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Number five, don't be a stand-in partner to someone who won't commit. Sometimes you can have been at one level of relationship for a long time, but one of you, usually but not always the man, just will not commit to marriage. Sometimes it's a man and a woman who are special friends. It's an indication that one of you has found a level of relationship in which he or she is getting all they want and feels no need to take it to the next stage. If you'll excuse just a moment of locker room talk, why buy the cow if you're already getting the milk? Number six, don't move in together. Living together with someone you're not married to is very different to living together with that same person in marriage. The statistics reveal that the average length people live together is two years. In fact, only one in 25 couples who are still living together after 10 years. My point is this, living together without the commitment will almost certainly result in heartbreak. In many cases, a person who could have made a great life partner is lost simply because the commitment needed to make that relationship truly fly isn't there. Living together doesn't work because it attempts to have the perks without the price. The couple hope to enjoy the domestic and financial and sexual perks without paying the price of commitment. But here's the deal. Whenever you have perks but no price, that's a recipe for anxiety. You might not say it, but one of you will secretly be wondering, is this person going to hang around or they're going to leave me for something better? Statistically, they very likely will leave you at some point. Your anxiety is valid. It's a warning system. There really are better ways to get to know someone than living with them. Did you know that the statistics bear out that a marriage has a better chance of surviving if the couple did not live together before getting married? Who would have guessed that? Well, anyone who believed that God's wisdom on any matter is not arbitrary. It's heavenly wisdom. The last tip for singles. Possibly the most important. Get and submit to lots of community input. Marriage is just too important a journey to travel alone. When it comes to love and marriage, if you want to travel quickly, travel alone, or just the two of you. If you want to travel far, travel with others. Our community has many married people in it who have much wisdom for single people to hear. Singles should get community input at every step of the way when seeking marriage. If you are in a relationship and considering marriage, then one of the services we offer is 
pre-engagement counseling. And if you'd like to find out more about that, please chat to um, me or Tash or to Sean afterwards. Check out these Proverbs. Proverbs 12 verse 15. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Wow. Let's go back to that one for just a moment. You can be doing something or two of you can be doing something and it just seems right. You've talked it through. It just, it just seems right. But that can be the way of a fool. Wisdom listens to advice. Proverbs 15 verse 22. Plans fail because of lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. Get advice for your relationships. Get advice for your marriage. Proverbs 19 verse 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you will be wise. One of the things I try and do is I try and assume in life in general that I'm not the wisest person in the room. I try and assume in life in general that every single person in the room has something that I can learn from them. God gave us one mouth and two ears. Listen twice as much as you talk. And you get wisdom that way. There's some movie with an old Indian guru. And someone came to this guru and said, you're so wise. And this guru said to him, everything about which I am now right, I was once wrong. And his point is, he learned stuff along the way. You might be wrong about a lot of things, but you can get wisdom. Proverbs 20 verse 18. How do you make plans? Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. Married Christians, we should look for ways to share our marriages with the singles and other married couples in our community. We're called to be transparent before one another. One particular way married people can do that is by displaying the real work of their marriages. Not just the sweet, light parts, but the hard, embattled parts to the unmarried and to those around us. So I really hope that these five messages have served you well. And I want to lead our singles in a prayer right now. And then I want to pray for those of us who would like to commit our lives to Christ. And maybe the band can um, lead us in some worship after that, a song or two. Let's all bow our heads. And if you're a single, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you can just own this prayer and agree with it in your heart. God, I realize I can't demand but I do ask for a spouse. Between now and the time I meet them, help me to become the kind of person they're praying for. Someone who will be a blessing rather than a curse to them. Removing those qualities from my life that would damage a relationship and adding those qualities that will enhance one.
while I wait. Let me not miss the life you have for me. Let me find my bearings and security in you so that I don't treat anyone like my substitute savior. Let me live my life for your glory, wasting no opportunities for friendships, growth, and service that you give. While I keep my eyes open, I also acknowledge that I have blinkers on that might be blinding me to perfectly good partner options. Please help me to take those blinkers off in case I miss your provision in the chase of someone who doesn't even exist. My life and my time are in your hands. Amen. If you haven't yet submitted your life to Christ, he wants to come into your life with a love greater than you ever imagined. So much of what we're looking for in love and marriage is someone who knows us completely, yet loves us completely. The truth is this. Jesus knows you completely. He's numbered the hairs on your head. And he loves you completely. That's why he died on a cross, taking the punishment for my sin and your sin, so that we could be forgiven. And today, right here, right now, you can give your life to him. I want to lead you in this prayer. And again, if you're not yet a Christ follower and you want to become a Christ follower, you can just agree with it in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming from heaven to earth and living the perfect life that I could never live. Thank you for dying on the cross and taking the punishment I deserve for my sin so that I could become completely free. Thank you for taking my sin and giving me your righteousness. I invite you into my life, Lord Jesus. I want my life to be under new management, to be under your management. Would you come and lead me and guide me today and the rest of my days? Amen. If you pray that prayer and you meant it in your heart, I would love to pray with you sometime today. Please come grab me over coffee or afterwards or talk to anyone who's been part of uh, participating in the leadership of this meeting and uh, they can point you in the right direction. But I wonder whether we can stand together and let's just lift up our eyes one more time to the giver of life. Let's open our hearts one more time to this river of grace this river of mercy that flows from heaven through God's people to this great, great nation. Who, oh Lord, can save themselves their own soul to heal? Our shame was deeper than the sea Love is deepest You alone can rescue You alone can save You alone can